as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I'm Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot. And we're here, we've got, um, we kind of decided this week to go from nice to naughty, because we definitely have some kids movies, some, you know, more mature movies, and then we've got something <laughs> that speaks to the 16-year-old inside of all of us. Oh <laughs> my goodness, yeah. The, this is just the weirdest assortment of movies that I've ever seen come out in one given week, like, ever. Yeah, so uh, we'll hit all those up, and then stay through till the end. Uh, we do have Salt Lake Comic Con in less than a month away. Um, I know Andy and I both have a couple panels we're on, so we will uh, kind of fill you in on those, let you know where you can see us. But first, Andy, tell us about Pete's Dragon, because I grew up not really watching the classic, which everyone, it seems like everyone my age loves this movie, and I didn't really watch it until I was a teenager, so it never really kind of set in with me the nostalgia of this film. So Yeah, and I, I think showing Pete's Dragon to a teenager is just a recipe for disaster. It's like far too earnest of a movie to get like a jaded teenager to, to care about. Yeah, I, I grew up loving the original, and so the one thing that I have to say to everyone is completely forget about that movie it it has oh really almost zero to do with with this new version of pete's dragon literally the only things that it has in common the movie is called pete's dragon there's a kid named pete and he's got a dragon named elliot everything else is different from changing the setting from early 1900s in the main coast and a a a lobster and fishing town to the Pacific Northwest in the 1980s in a logging town going from musical to a non-musical and really that like every single thing has changed. There's, there's basically nothing in common between the two of them, which is in a way very refreshing. I went in there prepared to hate this movie how dare you try and redo Pete's Dragon, which I love so, so much, and so completely change it. You've obviously gotten everything wrong. I was prepared to hate this movie based on the trailers. Man, they got everything wrong. And man, the scales fell from my eyes. And this movie touched my heart and took me back to that place. Of, it's good because you were expecting it to uh, touch you somewhere else. So Yeah, th- this is a really gorgeous film. I, I can't believe how, how touching and moving it is. I, it, it doesn't go quite so far as, uh, say, a Pixar level of making you cry or an Iron Giant. There's definite elements there of, of what's happening in this movie, and it's just absolutely wonderful. For the, for the kid and all of us. Like I said, this is the story of a little boy named Pete, and he gets lost in the woods and adopted by this giant green dragon. And he's out living in the woods, and one day Bryce Dallas Howard, who is a park ranger, uh, finds him out in the woods and says, what's this kid doing out in the woods? And he's like, oh, well, I've been out there for years, and, well, how did he survive? Oh, my friend, uh, Elliot... The dragon took care of me. 
Well, <laughs> because of course he did, sure. <laughs> no, and well, and and there's a local legend about dragons that live out in the woods. And in fact, her father, Robert Redford, uh, claims to have seen one of these dragons when when he was a young man. And so he sits around in the wood shop and tells kids about how he saw a dragon. And they go back to him and they say, "Is is this really real? Tell us what happens, and uh, tell us what happened." And he regales them with this tale of magic and and how beautiful and majestic this creature was. Of course, because this is a logging town, some of the loggers, uh, led by Carl Urban, uh, get it into their idea that the best thing to do with this dragon is go out and hunt it and capture it, and uh, then that'll surely make them rich. It really isn't about that. It's just about this magical idea of a a little kid being connected to a pet dragon and it's it's just really fun it's really gorgeous kids will love it parents will enjoy it and and robert redford is just absolutely amazing in this uh i'm giving this an eight out of a ten and uh yeah this is this is one of the this is just an amazing uh movie that disney's put out there one small thing just like with the jungle book don't go see this in 3D. Uh, they they have the same problem where it just darkens up the screen too much. The color palette for so much of this film is beautiful. These greens and blues, they're out in the forest where the canopy is so thick that the sunlight doesn't come through. So a lot of the movie is kind of in this semi-twilight darkness and having those sunglasses on just totally ruins it uh so so do yourself a favor and see it in in regular although seeing the 3d dragon is kind of cool um but i i'd say the the trade-off is is definitely uh to to not see it in 3d yeah that's that's always kind of a shame i mean it'd be kind of cool if they could i'm sure one day they will have the technology to kind of do with the screen what they've done with like the nintendo 3ds where you don't need the glasses um, in fact, there was a there was a while there they were actually were planning on doing TVs like that. But uh, if you go and try to buy a TV nowadays, with very few exceptions, 3D is kind of fallen by the wayside. People don't really like wearing glasses. Yeah. Um, which you mentioned for one, the dimming prospect. But uh, what's really interesting was and Brooks, our friend Brooks got me hooked on this. Was the 3D home viewing experience is completely different and better than it is in the movie theater. I don't know if it's just because TVs are brighter than the screen or you have more control over that, but as much as, with few exceptions, like Ghostbusters was one of them, um, I don't like seeing movies in 3D in theaters. Uh, I went out when I got my new TV and started buying a bunch of 3D movies because it looks a lot better for some reason um, in kind of that environment. That's really interesting, and and the great thing is when Disney packages up all of their movies, uh, they do the three, they just include the 3D Blu-ray, and they're basically for free, so... If you do have a a 3D TV, then I'm sure you will enjoy seeing it at that point. Uh, I, I, I guess just one other quick shout out on this movie that the the design that they have created with Elliot, uh, the entire movie feels very Spielbergian to begin with. It being set in the 80s and and it just has that same feel. Obviously, a lot of modern filmmakers like David Lowry, the writer and director here, uh, soaked up the Spielberg as kids, and 
that's what has influenced them to mm-hmm. create movies like this. But if you took one of the giant uh, four-legged dinosaurs from Jurassic Park and then mixed him with Sully from Monsters, Inc. and gave him the personality of a little puppy, like that's what Elliot is in this movie. And it's just so much fun. Take your kids. Have a good time. All right, so up next we've got Florence Foster Jenkins, which is kind of a biopic, kind of just a story, I guess, about this lovely lady who, uh, and again, real-life story, who was very devoted to the arts, donated a lot of money to uh, music and theater and stuff, and thought she was a wonderful singer, but eh, she kind of wasn't, to put it lightly. I I think it's debatable whether she thought she was a great singer or not like i i know that a lot of the movie is about her kind of being kept in this bubble where she's being shielded from her criticism and i i think it's more that she has such a passion for singing that she doesn't stop to think about like is my technique really that great i i think about her kind of as like the 1940s version of william hung or miss miller (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or and you're just like <laughs> putting yourself out there and and being, you know, because I I'm so passionate about it, then that's all that really matters. But yeah, so uh, this movie is kind of fun. It stars Meryl Streep as you know as Miss uh, Miss Jenkins, and her husband's played by Hugh Grant, and her uh, she decides that after all this time of doing uh, donating to the arts and helping putting on shows, that she wants to become a singer herself. And or at least take some more lessons to become better, uh, but and again, like what you mentioned was whether she just was passionate about it or if she, you know, really believed she was a great singer or if she'd been sheltered. The movie kind of takes the the other route because everyone around her is always telling her how great she is and how wonderful she is and how she just sounds, you know, so amazing. So I think it's kind of more. I mean, the one thing for me, I kind of felt bad for her because you had this really nice lady who was doing whatever she could to kind of help everyone out and do everything. And everyone just kind of lied to her face about, you know, what she could or couldn't do. Um, I think one of the most interesting and funniest moments of the whole movie, uh, Simon Helberg, who most of us will know from Big Bang Theory, um, he plays Cosme McMoon, who is her uh, piano player for doing her lessons. Um, and eventually she strives to go to Carnegie Hall and actually rents it out because she wants to do a concert for all the boys coming back from... World War II as a way to say thank you to them because one of her songs got leaked on the radio and people seem to like it. Again, people are liking it because they're making fun of her, not that they actually think it's good music. Uh, but I'll never forget the moment you know Simon Helberg's character comes in, sits down at the piano, starts playing, and she starts singing. The look of abject terror on his face uh, for me was one of the best <laughs> moments of the movie. Um, and after what he kind of pulls... Hugh Grant's character side, uh, St. Clair Bayfield, and says, um, so Mrs. Jenkins, he's like, oh yeah, she's, she's wonderful, isn't she? He's like, and he's like, um, he's like, and she takes very good care of us. And he's like, okay. I don't know, that's, that's kind of how I felt about the movie too. Uh, cause look, Meryl Streep's amazing and, and Andy, you've done theater and I've done theater. So someone who actually can sing and can perform like she does who is purposely 
making herself sing off key and sound horrible is very, very difficult. I'd say it's almost more difficult than singing on key, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. My my drama teacher in high school said the hardest thing to do as an actor is to act badly. Yes. So that's why I've always been drawn to characters like Calculon on Futurama, where they're just totally hamming it up, and it's so funny. Because these are people who know their craft, and they're doing it intentionally bad because they know how to hit all the wrong notes, literally. And so Meryl Streep, in in some ways, her talent has never been on better display because she she is hitting all the wrong notes on exactly. cue. <laughs> so I, I, I'm just uh, really amazed at this. And she's so charming. And this, this whole movie really tries to be charming. But yeah, you do just kind of feel bad uh, for, for what's going on. In, in some ways, this is a, a very beautiful situation. In some ways, it's a very tragic situation. I'll, I'll say this. I took my daughter to go see it, who is 11 years old, and she desperately wants to be a YouTube star. And I keep telling her, like, it, YouTube is a rough world. Like, people are going to be mean to you in the comments. And she really took this lesson to light about, you know, following your dreams and your passion and putting it out there, even if people are going to make fun of you. And uh, being ready to kind of steal yourself from that criticism. So I, I think that's a that's a good message and an interesting message. But mostly I, I found this movie charming, but almost instantly forgettable. Yeah, there's I mean it's we're not gonna look back again twenty years from now and be like this was Meryl Streep's crowning achievement. Uh, again, those of us who can understand how difficult it is to act badly as you as you we talked about can definitely see that talent there. The only thing that kind of annoyed me was uh at the end of the movie there's a moment where you have Meryl Streep as the character um, singing for real, and I can see the movie's trying to say this is how Miss Jenkins heard herself in her head, but to me it almost came across as pandering and as a wink to the audience to be like, oh, just so you know, Meryl Streep can really sing, haha, we gotcha. I don't know, that, that was kind of annoying. Yeah, I can see that. I felt okay about it. I wasn't, like, blown away by it. I was like, oh yeah, good reminder, Meryl Streep can sing, but... I also know that it's like I could go, I could go listen to Into the Woods and remember exactly. that because that's difficult to sing that part. So I I didn't need that, but I guess I don't know who would go see this movie who doesn't already know that Meryl Streep is an excellent singer. Oh yeah, everyone aside from the critics, everyone at the screen were women of a certain age. We'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> And, and yeah, there's nothing wrong with this movie. It's, it's innocuous, it's innocent, uh, but there really wasn't much going on. I mean, it was it was just this lady who wanted to sing and couldn't sing, and kind of the shenanigans around her. So I don't know. Like I, I got a little bit bored towards the end because I was just kind of waiting for it to wrap up. But again, it wasn't bad. It just I just felt really bad for her because I just have a thing for sweet old ladies, and I just felt bad people were taking advantage of her. So yeah, it's. It, it felt somewhat like a one-note, pardon the pun, uh, or a one-joke <laughs> one movie. It's like, okay, well, if you actually 
if you actually went to a concert to go see a bad singer because you think that they are bad, I don't know how you could sit there for an hour and a half or two hours just being like, oh yeah, this is still really bad. Eventually the funny kind of wears off. And I feel like that conceit, that joke, does somewhat wear off. It, it ceases to be incredibly funny. And and so you're left with a somewhat charming movie, but that that doesn't really go anywhere beyond that you know, that one level. Yeah, same thing. I mean, I mentioned, you know, Mrs. Miller, whose husband, I guess, actually thought she was a wonderful singer, and she's well-known for singing horrible songs. And uh, if you want to hear something funny, I was listening to uh, Radio Radio from Hell, and they played a clip of her singing Downtown, and it just, it, it's magical because she doesn't know the words either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's the same kind of thing. Uh, fans of South Park will, longtime fans at least, will be familiar with a singer named Wing, Mm-hmm. who uh, does covers and horribly and has a huge following. And I love to do nothing more than torture Eddie by by turning on anything of hers that she's done. By, uh, she sings for uh, by uh, Angela Weber because ab- or Les Mis because it absolutely curls his toes. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't understand how these people have a following, but they sell records and they have concerts. And it just, it kind of baffles my mind. Rebecca Black. <laughs> That's another one. <laughs> So well, she had the help of autotune. She, it was very well known that she couldn't sing. <laughs> well, there we go. Again, it's not a horrible movie. It's not a great movie. Uh, I'm right at, right down the middle of a five. I just I, I have no desire ever to go see it again. And I kind of went in a bit excited because I knew about the character and I was interested to see how they did it. But yeah, it just it is what it is. I'm I'm at like a six and a half. It's it's classy. It's cultural. It's kind of fun to learn this true story. Uh, but ultimately, I think the the true story of Florence Foster Jenkins is is far more interesting than uh, than just this movie, and, and there's more to learn about her. Uh, like the fact that the record that she put out uh, that, that you mentioned got leaked onto the radio has actually continually been in production ever since then. If you go out and want to order Florence Foster Jenkins singing at Carnegie Hall, you can do that. It's a, it, it, which is amazing. So and it wasn't her. I think her recording at Carnegie Hall is, I think, one of the most popular, isn't it? Yes. I heard something about that, and I was like, hmm. So, and I don't know her. It wasn't so much that she was just this horrible, horrible singer. I mean, she could hit certain notes, but it was almost kind of like she was trying too hard and would trill too much and go way too high or way too low and. I don't know. It was, it was a very interesting performance. I will say that she really put her heart into it, and that and that's very nice. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. But I, I thought this was okay. But yeah, six and a half. That, that's it. All right. So on to the movie we've all been waiting for. Oh or my goodness. Some of us may have been waiting for Sausage Party, which is the uh, raunchy R-rated comedy done by Seth Rogen and his Gang of Misfits. Uh, it just happens to be set in a world that looks like Pixar filmed it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and in fact, the director, all he's ever done before this was Thomas the Tank Engine. So he definitely knows how to put together a kid's movie, but uh, Sausage Party is a bunch of anthropomorphic uh, food items, everything from uh, Arabic lavish to a Jewish bagel to a hot dog bun voiced by Kristen Wiig. 
and they all live in the supermarket called Shopwell, and they wake up every morning to this beautiful, gorgeous uh, you know, musical song written by uh, Alan Menken, of all people, so you've got some talent <laughs> thrown into this project. Yep. Uh, they're waiting for the gods to come and choose them and take them to the great beyond, uh, and because tomorrow is Red, White, and Blue Day, which obviously for us is 4th of July, uh, more and more of them are being taken home and being taken to the great beyond where they'll live forever and eternity happily. Well, not so much. Uh, you see, Honey Mustard gets taken home, and the gods bring him back because they wanted normal mustard. And Honey Mustard has seen what the gods do to food once they get it. They ruthlessly, of course, chop it up, cook it, and eat it, because that's what we do. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, Frank the Sausage, who's voiced by Seth Rogen, and his girlfriend, uh, Brenda the Hot Dog, who's voiced by, said, by Kristen Wiig, uh, they're excited because they both got chosen. And then madness happens, they fall out of their packaging, and they're desperately trying to get back to their home aisle before they get found out and get thrown in the garbage. Uh, meanwhile, Frank meets with uh, a bottle of fire water, voiced by Bill Hader, very, very, again, racially inappropriate, yep. and informs him that, hey, this is all a lie, we made up the story so the food wouldn't freak out, and yes, indeed, people do, the gods do eat you. And so he spends the rest of the movie trying to convince Brenda and everyone else that they're going to their doom and try to save all of his friends from being horribly destroyed by humans, uh, forgetting the fact that in two weeks they'll all have spoiled anyways. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, this is the this is the movie that the horny sixteen year old stoner and all of us probably shouldn't go see, but might want to. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I feel like this was this is an idea that a sixteen year old stoner had. After going on the atheism subreddit and decided that they really wanted to blow people's minds with telling them about how meaningless their life is and just decided to be completely over the top and... And then that person grew up and became Seth Rogen. Yeah, I just... I, I got what they were doing. Some of it might have been funny and poignant if they had just decided to be a little bit less overt about it. This movie has the subtlety of a sledgehammer. And, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, and and so it's funny. There are good jokes. I like the, the conceit, but uh, I, I just think they didn't pull it off super well. And see, my, my thing was... So first of all, before we go any further, let's be very, very clear that this movie was built to offend people. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, despite the fact that it's they're just food, it's incredibly violent, double entendres and sexual innuendo every five seconds, major use of the C word, which maybe you get once or twice in the movie. No, this one likes to use it a lot. Uh, more F-bombs than probably Scarface. It makes fun of racial stereotypes, sexual stereotypes. Um, in other words, if you go to this movie, and also it's called Sausage Party, if you go to this movie and leave offended, you should probably go home and rethink your life because you purposely subjected yourself to a movie like this. Mm -hmm. um, also, do not bring your children. This makes Deadpool look like Masterpiece Theater. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, now we've got that out of the way. I had a blast with this. I thought it was really funny. I laughed harder than I should have. And there were times that it got me blushing. And, and you know me, I, I don't blush easily. But I felt like... I should have been laughing more. I mean, it was definitely funny. Exactly. There were moments that I was almost crying. But then there'd be like these long in-between moments of just nothing but, you know, exposition, kind of the plot kind of getting in the way of the story. Uh, that's that's where its weakness was. I really wanted to 
laugh more. And maybe, you know, I don't take herbal supplements, but I'm sure if I did, this would be the greatest movie ever made. Um, but yeah, it's there's just there's something missing there. It doesn't detract from the fact that it's a lot of fun. I, I love the fact they were trying to do make it a bigger story and talk about existentialism and believing in religious dogma. But the problem is, all that gets kind of hidden behind the sex and the fart jokes. I mean, the closest thing I can think of when thinking about this movie was uh, Team America World Police, which Trey Parker and Matt Stone did, gosh, well, over a decade ago now? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, well over a decade. But see, yep. they were making fun of the war on terror, the Hollywood elitist left, and Republican right. But as much as their movie was violent, over the top, had sex, they are better writers, and they could get their point across. And they could make a very interesting and impactful point um, with all that extraneous stuff around it, but it didn't bring it down, it kind of lifted it up. And Seth Rogen, you got some funny stuff, but I'm sorry, you and your friends are just not talented enough to pull that off. Yeah, and there's a lot in this movie that's specifically sexual, and the main conceit is that Frank the Hot Dog... And Brenda the hot dog bun, they they're they're waiting for one another. And when they go to the great beyond, then then they'll be together. And until then, they're just going to like they'll just slip their hands out of their package and, and touch tips, just their fingertips. And then like Brenda's like, oh, is it? Do you think the gods are mad at us because we touch tips? And yeah, they, they try to make all of this this sexual stuff so much about like oh christianity or islam or judaism is like feeding you all this bullcrap about uh about sexual purity that doesn't matter because it's all a lie and it's like the movie needs to take its own advice where later uh, a character is telling frank that like you can't just like be so overt about telling people things like that you need to inspire them it this movie just just doesn't do that and it felt like it was a little bit not mean-spirited that's not the right word but it was definitely deriding like a, a more traditional approach to like chastity is as being very quaint and outmoded regardless that the best part of this movie then happened in like the last five minutes when, mm-hmm. of course, after, you know, all of the food has figured out what's really going on and they no longer have to be chased, it turns into this insane food orgy. Which, <laughs> which is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and and that alone was worth the price of admission. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was really, really funny and disturbing and... Yeah, uh, they did a they did a really excellent job on that, um, and and then the kind of mind bending ending was also pretty amazing. I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of the exact way it ended. Uh, like, oh, it's this is what's really going on, and you're this and you're that. Although I was very very surprised to learn that Edward Norton was the Jewish bagel because I had no idea. Yeah, the me entire neither. movie. <laughs> That's <laughs> who it was. I don't know. And, and here's the thing. I don't want people to think I didn't like this movie because I actually I liked it a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. I think if I saw it again, I'd catch a lot more because they're throwing stuff at you so fast. But I would be uh, remiss not to mention the one thing I did hate about the movie. Um, they Nick had an Crawl. extra villain. Nick Crawl as the douche. And he yeah. comes across as a jerk because he's literally a douche applicator. And there's this whole thing about him going through and <sighs> killing other things and drinking their fluids to make himself stronger 
like roid rage up and the first time he was on screen it was funny okay I was like oh I get it that's hilarious I don't think I heard one person laugh any other time he's on screen and yeah it's only maybe 10 minutes of the rest of the movie but it's really annoying and horrible and it just it was the worst part of the movie so but that could have been left out this movie didn't need a villain. It didn't need a bad guy. You should have just. It's like, yeah, exactly. And and I think that's one thing that Pete's Dragon got right. It didn't need a villain, even though Carl Urban and and the loggers are kind of technically the bad guy in that movie. It 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 wasn't really. It was the 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 conflict was situational, not uh, about one person being a bad person. And this movie, it's like, why did, why in the heck did we need this douche character running around? Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, I get it. It's funny. It's a, it's a talking douche, and he's actually a douche. Okay, that was probably funny for them to write and like come up with. Hey, what are some offensive things that we could make him say? Oh, it's just terrible. Who I wanted more of, though was Selma Hayek the lesbian taco? Oh, she was so fun. Oh she my. Kept on having you, like, the whole, like, oh, I must not give in to my temptations. And uh, she just, I love her. She's wonderful. <laughs> I, I love Salma Hayek in general, but this is, this is so good. You forget that Salma Hayek can do comedy really, really well. Mm-hmm. And she was great. She was absolutely great in this. So, um, Andy, where were you at with this one? I don't know if I've if um, gone that far yet. Yeah, no, I, I'm at like a, I'm at like a five and a half. I, I thought it was good, but I wasn't blown away by it. Um, I, I think that they should have been a little less heavy handed and they, cause they had a really good idea. They just didn't pull it off extremely well. Yeah. And see, I, again, I know I sounded kind of down on it, but I had a lot of fun. Uh, it's opening, uh, Broovies, which I think is the perfect location for this. Uh, so I may have to make another trek down there and see it. I'm actually at a 7.5. I did have a lot of fun with it. And I think with repeat viewings, I'll like it more. Uh, I just... There were just some things that were missing that I wish, you know, they would have maybe spent some more time on, or developed a bit more, or had left out entirely. <laughs> I'll I'll one up you on that. Uh, even better place to see it than Bruvies. Oh yeah, the Alamo Draft House here in Austin, yeah, or <laughs> or many of the other cities uh, that that now have Alamo Draft Houses. But um, one of the things that that we got while we were there are sausage party coloring books. And not only are there, like, connect the dots and mazes, there's also a, uh, a, a highly inappropriate word search. And a <laughs> connect the terrible uh, stereotype to the character, which, which was also a fun matching game. It's like, yes, we know that uh, having a Jewish bagel is offensive. That's right. What are you going to do about it? Yes, <laughs> yes, For having... having- Having the lavash be a Middle Eastern guy is over the top. Or the, it's the Mexican be a taco. <laughs> yeah, we, we get that it's offensive. That's the whole point. And that's like, yeah, okay, we get it. The point was to be offensive. I'm And, and notice, I, I actually I'm, was not that offended by this movie. Um, I, I think because you had warned me so much about what the content was, I was expecting it to be so much worse. There was one thing... That, that got me, and I was like, oh, that's really terrible. And I won't spoil it, um, but it was a non-food item uh, warning oh, the, yes. the Michael Sarah sausage about uh, how awful his life had been, uh, and, and I, won't, I won't go into that. Yeah, 
We'll, we'll just say that it's not just the food items that uh, come to life. In fact, there was one scene near the dr- they go to this druggie's house where uh, some pop- something pops up. He's like, "You guys are pissed. What do you think he does to me?" And I just I lost it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so again, there there are some really funny things here. Um, it just sometimes it doesn't quite work as well as it should. Well, and and I think like I think about Pixar and how they're able to take something like Toy Story and they establish the rules for that universe and the toys are talking but they're not up and around when the kids are playing with them uh, and they just go limp but they have a secret life outside of that or secret life of pets Uh, you know they, they establish the rules for their universe very well this movie it's like okay what exactly is it that's alive and not alive in this universe because there were appliances that didn't talk there were uh, there was a giant bong that didn't talk which I think that would have been funny it's like it's a stoner oh, yeah. if, the, if the bong had talked but like you know is it is it just food well it's not just food is it stuff you can buy in the grocery store because like there's other things that they had for sale in the grocery store that didn't talk. And so I just, again, um, I, I feel like they didn't quite nail that concept. Uh, but Hey, if you just want to go in and laugh at, at stupid food jokes and the food being sexual, um, there you go. Have (laughs) have fun with it. Exactly. And again, if you, if you do partake of herbal supplements, you will think this is the greatest movie ever made. Indeed. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll get to Comic-Con panels in one second, but next week, we actually, it's a pretty busy week. Uh, we've got War Dogs, which I'm so excited to see with Miles Teller and um, Jonah Hill. The remake of Ben-Hur that no one requested. Kubo and the Two Strings, which is the animated movie that I think looks fantastic. I know I've been oh excited gosh, to see that one. That looks amazing. And then Hell or High Water, which is a new uh, western, which Andy, you've already seen. I've already and- seen I have to decide between seeing that and Ben-Hur next week. So um, I don't know which one I will see, but I'm hoping it'll be that one. So Hell or High Water is pretty good, I just got to say. So, Not that um, we're reviewing it, but if we were reviewing it, yeah, yeah. that's what we're yeah, well, well, I could already review it because it's already out in Austin. But oh, there you there go. We go. We'll save it for next week because we've got, we, yep. we, we've got a lot here. But anyways, Comic-Con, Salt Lake Comic-Con is coming up. It's 20 days away, which I can't believe it's already here. Uh, we're looking at uh, September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and both Andy and yours truly uh, have been chosen to be on and uh, moderate some panels. Uh, Andy, which ones did, uh, do you want? Because I've, I've got the list here, and you're on one that I'm jealous of. Oh, is is it this first one on, on Thursday at 6 p.m.? Uh, no, it's the one on Saturday. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Thursday at 6 p.m., I will be on the Ghostbusters Past, Present, and Future panel with one of our fellow, a couple of our fellow big shiny robots, Lucas and Rebecca Frost, and uh, joined by our our good friends Jimmy Martin and Rich Bonaducci. So, uh, good times on that. On on Friday, I have a, I'm moderating the Star Trek at 50, Fear of a Borg Planet, 50 Years of Star Trek Villains. Uh, the basic conceit of this is villains in the Star Trek universe have always been representative of uh, real-life sociopolitical events. So um, 
how do we trace uh, all of that through 50 years of Star Trek? We'll talk about the Cold War. Uh, we'll talk about terrorism. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, our, our current state and what that means for the new Star Trek. Uh, then at uh, And that's at 3 p.m. on Friday. At 7 p.m. on Friday, a Five Nights at Freddy's panel for anyone who enjoys that particular video game. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And Saturday, the one you're jealous of... Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our good friend, Brookheim and Brian Young and I are going to have it out. The Civil War debate, Team Cap versus Team Iron Man. It'll be me and Danielle from the Hello Sweetie podcast versus Brian and Brooke and Sean Means from the Salt Lake Tribune on uh, Team Iron Man, uh, moderated by Ryan Call, who... Uh, when you are there, please tell him thank you for putting together yes. an amazing Comic-Con. Uh, Ryan's a great guy, and he'll be moderating this. And it's going to be like a formal debate for anyone who did debate in high school. Uh, it's going to be moderated. We're going to cross-examine each other. And we're going to go at it, and then you, the audience, will decide uh, who's the winners. Really, the real winners are all of us when we get to hug it out afterwards and... Be, and, and hopefully still love each other. <laughs> and actually, uh, we'll uh, get to that in a second, but I have a panel that gets out right when yours starts, and it's right downstairs from you, so you need to save me a seat <laughs> so you I can will, get up I, there. I will save you a seat right up front, sir. Okay, awesome. Uh, so yeah, so mine, uh, I've got a couple panels too. Uh, we've got on Thursday at 3 p.m., uh, Fixing Fandom and Ending Bullying and Gatekeeping. So yes. the big point with this, and actually I'm doing this with Brian Young, uh, who I've actually... After all this time, never done a panel with. This is my first panel with Brian. Uh, also, Deborah Jensen and our good friend Aaron Burton. And the importance with this one is that, you know, there's so many people out there who's like, well, if you don't like everything about this thing, you can't say you're a true fan. So if you don't like Jar Jar Binks, you know, you you um, you can't be a fan of Star Wars. And on the flip side, there are people who say, well, if you do like Jar Jar Binks, then you're a heretic, and how dare you love the prequels and blah blah yeah. blah. It all comes down to the motto of don't be that kind of geek and it's very important that as geek has gone mainstream that we're now you know we're not this niche group anymore that we need to welcome everyone and you know, you've got the, the fake geek girl you know, all that kind of fun stuff yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about that this was uh, one of the best panels at uh, FanX in March so I'm glad that they're doing it again right. and the other one that they're doing back from FanX and we get to do this I get to do this at least with our good friends Lucas uh, Corey, who owns the Watchtower Cafe, and Brooke, Brookheim, who, of course, we all know and love, is the Feminism, Queer, Counterculture, and Non-Compliance. Uh, again, this is one I had to miss last year. I was so upset because I had a panel at the exact same time, uh, but just kind of showing how feminism and queer culture has kind of pushed through and should break through uh, geekdom, comics, and movies, uh, and this is the one everyone was talking about last year as well, so again, I'm extremely excited for that one. And since uh, it's all about non-compliance, there's going to be lots about Bitch Planet. Yes. So if you're not up on Bitch Planet, I just finally picked up the second, uh, not the second trade, the uh, the individual issues from I ordered from Dr. Volts came in, so I can finally catch up. Um, and if you want to know more about Bitch Planet, shameless self-plug, uh, Funny Books and Firewater, the podcast we also have done before, uh, we covered Bitch Planet a couple weeks ago. So if you want to go back and take a look, uh, we jumped in and spent a lot of time discussing at least the first five issues. Uh, so first thing... Saturday morning, so if you're not hungover, please come to this one. It's uh, Calvin and Hobbes, 
Bill Watterson's Enduring Legacy. Uh, so Calvin and Hobbes is one of my favorite comics. Uh, one of the most beloved, I think, by most people I've ever met. And then one day Bill Watterson, you know, the guy who wrote it, just decided, hey, I'm done, and hung up his hat and went from there. So I get to do this one with the lovely Lola Binkard, who we've heard from Geek oh, Show, so she'll Lola. be the us. I love yeah. Lola. She's in town this weekend, too, and I have to work, so I'm sad. Um, but it'll be fun seeing her. And then finally, uh, right before Andy's uh, Civil War uh, panel, and interestingly enough, this one is called the, uh, the LGBTQIA panel, No You Move. So <laughs> you can see what the uh, the inspiration was for that panel. But mm-hmm. again, I'll be there with Brooke Heim. We've got Michael Jensen returning, Lucas Fowler, uh, Caitlin Booth, and then Vincent Roth. So that's a big one. It's always very popular. Uh, I'll be moderating that one, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, so plenty of panels. You know, more might pop up between then and now. So keep an eye out here on our Facebook pages. We'll let you know. Um, but yeah, we're really excited. 20 days away. Until then, though, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly.